Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, well, we are uh, going to jump right in, and uh, because um, as I was going through this morning and going over my notes, I wrote either don't talk about this too long or don't go do in depth about six times. So, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to uh, we're going to go through uh, go ahead and begin and and uh, try to uh, get through all the material. Especially, uh, I definitely want to get to the my kind of ending on this because uh, it, it it is a very important piece to the uh, to this this study and this this look. So um, you know, have you ever wondered what you could do if you could do anything that you wanted to do? Uh, that there's there's nothing too expensive or too difficult or too outrageous or too dangerous that you could do anything that you wanted to do. And if you've ever thought of that, I think most of us think that at some point, either when we were little or maybe even all the way up to now. So uh, it's always fun to hear someone, uh, you know, middle-aged or older even saying, you know, I, I don't, I'm still not sure what I'm going to do when I grow up, uh, that kind of thing. It's always kind of fun. But you know, for, for Solomon, this was not a, this wasn't a fantasy. That wasn't a dream. He, he really could. I mean, he had the money, the power, the, 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 the prestige, the, the wisdom. He had everything that he needed to really pretty much be able to do whatever he wanted to do. And, uh, and this is what makes Ecclesiastes so incredibly interesting, is that he could and did try pretty much everything and a pursuit of meaning and fulfillment, and uh, you know, one by one, he goes through these different pieces, and one by one, he pronounces them empty. And interestingly enough, he will explore the one thing that we tend to think would not be, or if you were going to find meaning somewhere in Solomon's life in particular, it would be in, in what? What would, what would be the one thing that he would probably be the, the most interesting thing that he would challenge? What is Solomon known for? Wisdom. Wisdom. Hey, wisdom. So um, now I know up to this point we've talked about that, or I've talked a lot about that we don't really know exactly who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, and that's true, but because he never actually names himself, it's a pretty well accepted idea that it was either Solomon or someone writing in Solomon's name. But in today's class, we are going to just assume that it was Solomon because we are going to be talking about knowledge and wisdom and who better uh, than to, uh, to use as the, uh, the author of this as Solomon, which is, and it, it works well. So uh, the first thing first, we need to clarify as to when we talk about wisdom as to what exactly Solomon is talking about whenever he says wisdom. Now, he's not talking about God-gifted or, or spiritual wisdom, the, the stuff that uh, what God would give to him as a gift, uh, the, the kind of spiritual wisdom you see in James, uh, James 2 especially, uh, that, that kind of wisdom. That's not really what we're talking about. What Solomon is talking about is wisdom, uh, that is human wisdom, or, or is he likes to use wisdom under the sun. It's things that we, uh, we know, our, uh, our acquisition, our attempt to acquire as much knowledge as, as possible and the key to this, the whole class, the key to the whole class, I'm going to give it to you right up front, is the way in which we apply that knowledge to our lives. That's the key to this whole study, the whole look at wisdom. It's not just the gathering of wisdom, but how we apply it. That's the, that's the key. And again, we're not talking about spiritual wisdom here. We're talking about 
um, again, as Solomon says, under the sun, wisdom. So, you know, we, while knowledge and wisdom aren't really the same thing, particularly, Solomon makes it pretty clear that, that he doesn't separate them very far at all. Uh, in chapter 1 and verse 18, uh, and we are going to be bouncing around like we have been, but in chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that, that Solomon even talks about wisdom in general, but it's also very interesting that he talks about it almost immediately. Uh, he immediately jumps into that. So that even though that was a gift from God, he still saw wisdom as something that really needed to be uh, closely looked at. And I would say probably the main reason for that is because, because of his wisdom, he understood that this was one of mankind's most cherished illusions is that we, we, we delude ourselves into believing that uh, wisdom and knowledge is going to be the, the solution, the ultimate answer for all of life's problems. And, and he, he understood that. As a country, as you can say Western culture, uh, we have put a tremendous emphasis on, on education in particular in our country, uh, in, in Western culture in particular over the last especially the last 50 or 60 years. And so, I mean, think about these statements. Think about whenever we, the, the things that we probably, many of us here probably either grew up hearing this or maybe even said them ourselves or are still saying them ourselves. Things like this. Education is the way to guarantee a good future. Um, good grades in high school will lead to a large scholarship or a scholarship in general. A, a college degree means a good job, a good income, and a happy life. Uh, that has been the pretty much the emphasis, especially in America, but in Western culture for 50, 60 years. Easy. Right? Uh, basically coming out of you know, 1950s, 1960s, beginning of the space race, that becomes a huge emphasis was uh, we have got to educate everybody because that's what's going to lead to success and happiness. You know, it's, here's the problem, though, and again, it's how we apply it. The interesting aspect of this is not that we make those statements, but it's that we consider them almost automatic. It's that if you do that, it will happen. Right? I have been in education my whole career. Believe me, I, it is said, I have said it, that you say it almost automatically to kids that if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And it's a very sad delusion to think that. You know, and again... And I'm gonna. This is. I want you to think about this. If you're kind of like, if you're agreeing, like, yeah, you're right. That is, you know, that I can't believe, you know, that we do have put such an emphasis on that. However, what if I was standing in the teen class right now, and I told them that? Would you be okay with that? With me telling them, it's a delusion. Ah, see, so it, it's in, in. So it, you can't have both ways. You can't say, well, you can tell me that, but don't tell them that. That's not fair to you or them. And so it's, uh, that's kind of where we're going with this. Now, obviously, I'm a proponent of education. I've been in education my whole career. Uh, that is something that uh, I put a lot of emphasis in. However, I also understand the reality of where education is and especially where it's going. And, for example, and I, I, I wrote this and then didn't write it and then read it, so, but I'm going to go ahead and use it. Um, I, I don't agree with the loan forgiveness stuff that the government is doing. I don't agree with the way that's going about necessarily. Um, but what I do understand is where some of them are coming from. I really do. 
Uh, I mean, because they have been, and I, I'm responsible for this myself, they have, were indoctrinated with the idea of believing that a college education was the only way that you were ever going to be able to truly be successful and truly be happy. And so many of them went off and did exactly what we told them they needed to do, and now here's where they sit. Okay, so without going into the politics of all of it, uh, there's definitely something to be said with that. And, it's, and again, if I go back to the statement I made earlier about it, would you be okay if I said that to the teen class? Be very careful that you don't have two conflicting viewpoints whenever it comes to work. Because if you're like, well, last week we talked about work, and I agree we should not put an emphasis on a job. But on education, that does, it's, it's high. You can't have one without the other because what we're telling them is education leads to work, which will lead to happy, successful life. Okay? And again, like we said many times last week, and I'll keep saying this, none of this is about trying to say you shouldn't do this. That's not what Ecclesiastes is about. It's about putting your emphasis, putting your belief that you will find meaning in this, and you'll find meaning of life in this. Yes? I got my education through work. I failed out of college. I'm not sure how to answer that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I learned everything I am. I learned through work. And again, and I and I, I want to reemphasize that again is that no one is saying that you should not that, that work is not something you should do, or that knowledge and education is not something you should do. That we shouldn't put like encourage you know kids to do to be successful and things like that. That's not what this is about. This is again, this is all about putting emphasis on. Uh, on where it needs to be put, which is on God, not on uh, on that. Yes? Um, we actually just had this discussion with our kids because one of Logan's friends just came back from being in South Korea for the month with family. And he was talking to us, which I took home one night, about the differences between America and South Korea as far as the educational system. And his cousins that are his age don't come home until like 1 o'clock in the morning because they go to study groups immediately after school. Because our whole goal in life is to become a doctor or whatever, and and there's only a certain amount of people that can go to college, and so they have to make you get like one standardized test, one shot at it. It's a whole thing. But the whole their whole life is nothing but education. And I asked him, I said, what about family life? Do they how do they spend time with the family? And he said they don't because they're at school all the time. And I said, but the family bond is so strong. And he said, yeah, but you don't really have much of a relationship. But one thing he talked about was the mental health care system is extremely poor and the suicide rate is extremely high because that is their goal and not everybody, like only, he said only like 10% of college graduates with the highest grades get to go to college. And if you miss one question on a test, it drops your class rating to like down to 10 spots, just missing one question on a single test. And so they're, they, they, most of the people fail in their goal and they don't attain it and the suicide rate is just yeah, it's it is it is it's a sad delusion, and that's in it that we that there is such an emphasis, and that's a you know that's a long running uh, uh, view, I guess, in the education world. Whenever it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, Asian countries in particular, um, having that, especially Korea and Japan, but is another one that that falls much of that same that same route. One one of the things we have to be careful when we say and put too much emphasis on education is that the perception is if you don't do this you're a failure 
Yep. If you don't go to college, it's because you failed. And and not everybody is built to go to college. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that is that is pretty much, I mean, you guys are, are, are spot on for, for where we're going to be moving forward um, with this. Now, we're not going to spend our whole time talking about education uh, in, in general. Um, and uh, I do that a lot every day at work, so I'm not going to do that here. But, um, so, but we are going to look at, uh, we're, we're going to look at some, a few other uh, bits and pieces uh, that go into the idea of wisdom and knowledge. So it's, it's important to understand the idea of more education. And, and what that means, that's a very secular idea, not a, it's not a spiritual idea. And I want you to think about how many issues in our society are they attempt to solve by more education. If people will just know more, it will solve that problem. If they would just understand more. Um, I grew up in the age of uh, Nancy Reagan's uh, uh, Just Say No campaign, um, which was uh, the, whole, the whole premise, if you don't remember that. If you don't know what that is, uh, there is that's the uh, you know this is your this is your brain this is your brain on drugs you know that has the frying egg in the the pan or whatever they uh, that was pretty much what that was the whole premise of that was to educate everyone on what drugs were and what they could do to you and then then nobody would want to even go they don't even want to go search them out because they look how terrible this is it's pretty well known now in history circles that was a total failure it did not work. But the point was that was the premise of where they were coming from, um, and just a, and I don't I'm, I'm not going to spend much time on this. Uh, I don't want to, but uh, there is uh, obviously uh, things like sex ed is very common in schools. If you uh, most of you probably in here had some level of that uh, in, in schools and public schools in particular, um, but uh, I, I grew up kind of right in the um, uh, right in the the the. the were they the tipping point as to do we talk about it at all or do we, if you don't talk about it, they're going to do it anyway, so we, bet we need to talk about it uh, kind of thing. I was kind of right there in that, uh, on that, that tipping point uh, in school. If you want to know which way that tipped, okay, uh, Middale schools and quite a few other districts in, in the metro area um, uh, in their middle schools use a company called Teen Empower. Uh, which is a, uh, it's a company that comes in, they, um, in all the middle schools, every, six, every year, 6th, 7th, and 8th, they do a two weeks, I mean two weeks <coughs> course, where they completely take over the class, the teacher goes sits in the back of the room, and for two weeks, if you can think about it, if you can imagine it, if you're like, I wonder if they talk about that, yes, they do, and then some, guaranteed, guaranteed, I had, I had to, I got to sit in a couple of those classes to sub for the teacher. Um, that was probably, and I, I mean, you got to understand, I taught middle school for 20 plus years, right? That was the most uncomfortable time in my entire career, listening to what they were talking about. It was ridiculous, All right? So that, if you want to know where they tips to, there you go, All right? So, and again, if you ask them, if you ask the teachers, why are you doing all this? That is the exact answer they give. Because the more they know, the more they'll understand, and the safer they'll be. That's the whole premise. Right? So the more they know. It's all about the more they know. So I'm not talking about anything anymore because I don't want to. So, um, again, the problem with this more you know idea is that it doesn't address moral and spiritual implications. It's academic. It's totally academic. It doesn't address anything. Basically, our educational level has increased over time. 
but it doesn't seem to make things get better because it doesn't address the moral implications that go along with it. Uh, the, the basic academics is not fixing anything. If you, if anybody in here, and you don't need to raise your hand because you're embarrassed, but if anybody here is a Trekkie, like you're a big fan of Star Trek kind of shows and movies and things like that, yeah, really, yeah. if you've ever really paid attention to that, and the more recent movies and TV shows actually just come out and say this, but they, they will come out and say it in different comments in the show if you pay attention. But the whole premise of that show, the, the world they live in, is a highly academic, all education, all views and belief systems have been thrown out. Uh, it's not uncommon to hear in that show different variations of that show. Well, they will talk about that, you know, because they'll encounter some species who will say, well, what do you believe in the afterlife? Well, you know, in, in, our, in our Earth's history, we used to believe. And then they'll fill in the blank of whatever that used to be, Christianity, whatever. And they will, that's the, the whole idea is that in a future world, in a future America, that was, that's what we will be. It's a utopia where nobody really, it's all about everyone just working for the betterment of everyone around them on an academic level. That's the whole premise of it. And so, uh, and that's, and that when, based on when that show was created and how it's progressed, it's a, you know, I'm a big fan of, Movies and TV shows and music as to how they are representative of culture, and uh, and that's a that's a that's an interesting one. So, you know, Solomon is going to be very quick to acknowledge that wisdom is not all bad; that it definitely has its advantages. And I don't have time to read all of these, but there is quite a few verses where he says this. Chapter two, verse thirteen, he says, "Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in life than in darkness." And 2 and 26, for uh, to the one who please him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Um, I almost didn't read this one, but I'm going to. Uh, 4.13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Uh, another, again, uh, another shot saying that, you know, understanding and learning more is a good thing. And he has quite a few more verses uh, that he does, that he talks about uh, in this. So, in spite of, it, of its advantages, though, wisdom is not the ultimate solution to man's search for meaning in life. It's not going to be. So we're going to go through, kind of like we did last week with work, we're going to go through and look at what it is about wisdom that causes the problems. Where, where do these issues come in? So, um, in, we already read Ecclesiastes 1.18, uh, where basically it says that much wisdom is grief and in much knowledge is pain. In other words, the wiser you get, the more you know, the more pain and grief you experience. Uh, that's pretty much the opposite way of saying ignorance is bliss. I mean, that, that's a, you know, we use that as a kind of a joke, as a derogatory idea, but it's actually very true uh, in, in, when it comes to knowledge and wisdom. But, you know, increases in knowledge and wisdom make us very aware of our troubles and the imperfections of the world and ourselves. The more we know, the more we realize how bad things are. And, uh, and so that makes it very, very difficult. Um, as I was studying this, I read an article that talked about the age of anxiety, that we, we're currently living in the age of anxiety. I, I'm not usually a big fan of adding you know, labels and monikers like that to, to generations and things, but I don't think they're very far off on that. Um, I, I think they definitely, uh, they, I think this, this author definitely had a point to that. And I want to kind of look into that idea. And so... As usual in my class, I, I like to bring out the uh, the con most controversial 
uh, not most controversial, but a controversial topic that we can to see how we can, whether that's true. Are we living in the age of anxiety and uh, because of knowledge and wisdom? And so what we're going to look at is health, the idea of health. And we're going to look at it in two different directions, okay, from one, one side or the other. So um, the, uh, one of the most misunderstood concepts of health and history and things like that is that we are simply just healthier people today. That we are just healthier people. We, we just, we're just, we have a better knowledge, we have a better understanding of anatomy, we're just cleaner. We are just healthier people. We then, and just, and usually the biggest argument when I have this conversation with people, with everything from kids to adults, one of the biggest arguments they like to throw out at me is, well, because, you know, people only lived to be, you know, X number of years back then. Or if I make a statement and then they'll turn around and say, well, didn't people all die when they were 40 back then? Um, so, <laughs> Again, people tend to think that they use this information as of a, we, we have a better understanding of anatomy and medicine, and we're just cleaner. We, we just understand microbiology better. So because of that, we're just, we just know more. We're just healthier. And that's why, and that's where they, they put it back on that history, and they said that's why people back then only lived to be a certain number of years old. Um, very quickly, I want to just add this little piece to this. Be very careful with that view. Uh, because that is a very American view. There are people, uh, there are people around the world who do not live in that box of health that you put it in that. And so, by condemning pre previous generations, by saying they weren't really the healthy, you're also condemning other cultures. And so, be very careful with that uh, whenever you say that. But um, the problem is, is that the um, the, the mindset that we use here, we love to push back into history. We love to push back into, uh, into the you know, of previous generations and explain, well, that's why they didn't live that long. So if you don't understand, and again, I'm going to come up with this from two angles as to why this knowledge idea and this, this wisdom idea of health can be very dangerous for us if we're not careful is, uh, is, is this, and if you don't understand how they figure out life expectancy, okay? Now, if we go back to 1700s, 1700s America, uh, what was the life expectancy of, of most Americans in that time? It was, it was about 40 years old. Now, the, there's a couple of things about that that always kind of make me giggle, especially when I'm talking to kids about this, but just in, as adults too, is that the mindset that I think people have with that, because, I mean, so do you, the mindset people have is that whenever, if you went back in time and you saw someone who was 40, or let's say 50 years old, a 50-year-old in 1700 looked like a 90-year-old today. No, they didn't. Age, people age the same back then as they do today. <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't change. I mean, it, it, it's, it always kind of makes me laugh with that. Also, the idea is like, well, life expectancy was 40. That means pretty much everybody died between 35 and 45. Like, everybody died. Okay? That is not how it works. The problem, the reason people have a hard time understanding this today is because we, we, there's a factor, there's a couple of factors in life expectancy that we don't think about today because they're so minuscule in the, the averaging that we don't even think about it. And that is primarily the idea of child and infant mortality rates. That's the problem. That's the issue because we don't, that's not really much of an issue today as it was back then. Back then, a, a child in America in the 1700s had about a one in, depending on time period, where you were, anywhere between one in three and one in five chance of not surviving to adulthood. Okay, that, was a, that was very common. And there's a lot of factors. It was not simply because that we were healthier. There's a lot of factors that go into that. 
And, and so because of that, if you take people who predominantly live into their 60s, in the 1700s, very common, most people lived into their 60s, right? That was very, that was very common. And then you take a very high child or infant mortality rate, and you average it, what do you get? 40 years old. Okay, so that's what that means. It does not mean that everybody died. And so, again, the point to that, without going into a lot more depth than that, is that, uh, is that we, are, we have to be careful. We don't take our knowledge and wisdom and shove it into other people's history or culture or something like that because we just think we know better. Uh, whenever it comes to cleanliness, that one is one that always kind of makes me laugh. Um, the reason we can really argue cleanliness is because we have a lot of access to it. We have running water. We have a uh, we have hot water heaters. I have had students who believe that sweat is unhealthy. All right, that if you go and do an athletic event and you you sweat, you better go take a bath pretty quickly because if you smell bad, that's a sign that you're unhealthy. Okay. And my always question, my first question is, what if you lived back in, you know, even even 1940s in some areas, 1950s in some areas? What if you went back then? What would that mean? They're like, well, I would bathe every day. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Not unless you wanted to bucket the water in from the well, you know, for two and three hours every day and then heat it. Right? It's a very different idea. So we have this view. We've, we've created this view that that's not really... Uh, that, that these are things that our, our knowledge has increased. And so because of that, we, uh, we just understand better. You know, and I, and I wanted to kind of throw that piece, this side of that argument out into that because it's, it's important that we understand that knowledge, can, especially in health and other things, can be very misrepresented. And so we have to be aware of that uh, when we're talking about that because this can allow us to not acknowledge that wisdom and knowledge is can be sometimes put too high. That we tend to think that, well, I, I, we just know better. And since we know better, and I've heard this before in the church, that since we know more, God allowed us to know more. We're learning more about his creation, so he's going to understand because we're learning more about his creation. Okay? That is not how that works. That is not how that works. Um, so, uh, again, looking at the other end of that, and this is a real easy part. Does this knowledge increase our anxiety? Our anxiety in society? I mean, how I mean, how much are we wrapped up in health? How often do we all talk about, you know, it's like well, am I eating the right thing? Am I eating the wrong thing? Am I eating too much? Am I not eating enough? Am I going to the doctor? Am I cleaning regularly? Am I bathing? Am I washing my hands at least six times a day? And what what are all the things that we do? Because, and again, there's nothing wrong with having a knowledge of that at all. But whenever it becomes over what it is that we're supposed to be doing, we our anxiety levels go so high, it turns into an idea of that we are not trusting in what it is we should be trusting in. And, I mean, but again, couple this with media today. Look at the way media works. I mean, we are inundated 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We could be with all types of media, to TV, to apps, to, to articles, to all kinds of stuff that basically tell us the, the woes and the troubles of the world all the time. It's constant. And so our anxiety just sits up here because we feel like that the world is basically falling apart right outside our front door all the time. And, and so you add that into health and like what we've been talking about, it becomes a very, very dangerous thing. And it's... And also part of this is that people no longer have the ability to claim ignorance is bliss. 
Has anybody ever actually had that argument or had that conversation with somebody where it's like, you know, they ask you a question about something in politics or something in the world? Yes. Uh, just want to let everybody know David had not quit teaching. He's got really faint, and uh, Amanda's with him. He had to get him out of the class, and Amanda's looking at him right now. But we had a prayer for him in the class. I just want to let everybody know we we'll be thinking about Dave uh, and uh, Dave Rosser and uh, his health. Thank you. Let's say a prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you now with a, a special uh, request, a, a special uh, plea uh, for, for David and, and his health. And uh, we ask that you be with him, uh, be with uh, all those who are taking care of them uh, to him and, and help him to uh, recover uh, quickly, um, help them to be able to find, find cause and to be able to understand and uh, be able to give him comfort. Be with him, be with uh, all those around him. And it's to your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You know, some of those changes that you talked about, you know, about running water and everything, we're not so far removed from that. I mean, my grandmother grew up in a house with a dirt floor and no running water, a well and an outhouse. Uh, and I, I remember going to my great-grandmother's house and seeing that when I was a child. So, you know, and, and, I, and I realized most of the th people around that time were even improving faster than she did but you know that's that's what she did yeah you know if you if you couple into that uh, uh, climate idea and I don't mean climate in the world but climate in our homes um, I mean you think about it most of us don't spend much time out of a 72 degree or 70 degree anything ever I mean we it, it's always last I always like to do that with my students be like so let's figure out how much time did you actually spend outside today because they'd come walking into my room and be like, it's so hot. It's like, how much were you actually outside today? And they would figure it up, and it would be like eight minutes <laughs> um, in, in total. And everything else was in an air-conditioned something or a heated something. And so, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a home that we had a floor furnace, and we had a window unit. And our house was not big enough for either one of those. And we had an attic fan. But with an attic fan, you could not turn on until mom went to bed. When mom went to bed, that came on, and everybody else went to sleep. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a, I mean... So yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge and things that are really it's not that not that old uh, for sure. So, but again, I wanted to go full circle with this idea of this this dangerous idea of, uh, of, of under having too much knowledge, having too much wisdom that can that we put too much emphasis on, and again, kind of looking at it from different angles of uh, when it comes to health because. If our belief is that we're just smarter and wiser than people in the past or in other parts of the world, we gain a sense of immortality and contentment. And this is, a, and this is something that can easily separate us from God. And, and really what it comes down to is that we don't trust God. We, we don't trust that he is going to be able to, uh, he's going to be able to protect us. And, and again, and I want you to understand this, sometimes it's not about protecting that if you're like, well, I, I'm sorry, but I can't go out and do this, or I can't go talk to these people, or I can't go to this place and do this because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt, or I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to get sick, or I'm afraid I'm going to... It's not about that you believe that, that God, well, God's going to protect you when you do that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we have a hope and a faith and an understanding of things that are not here. And so we can do that because we know that here isn't, doesn't, it doesn't matter. 
vanity is what's under the sun. And so, and that's part of where this, where Solomon is going with this, is understanding that God is going to follow and fulfill his promise. And so we can have that faith and we can have that hope in something greater. And we don't need to worry about right here on this earth right now uh, without having to, and just think, well, I, I hope that everything will be okay. It will be. Okay? It will be. So it's important um, to, uh, it's important to understand that. Uh, so let's, let's move on. Um, it's important to also be inquisitive of things. It's important to, to, to question and to be curious and to look for, for more. We've already said wisdom and knowledge is, a, uh, is an important thing. It's an important thing to, uh, to, to follow through with that. Um, you know, Solomon, uh, it was like that. He strove for this his entire life. However, he does talk about that there's a very frustrating aspect uh, of wisdom, which is the, the idea that you'll never know everything. You'll never be able to understand everything. Uh, he says in chapter 7 and verse 23, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find out? Uh, in uh, chapter 8 and verse 16 and 17, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, neither uh, how neither day nor night do one sleep, I see sleep, that I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. You know, it, it's, it's hard to find out information. But when we do, we, we study it, we, we, you know, we, we get tested on it. I mean, I know we all passed our tests, I hope. And, uh, but in this case, Solomon is talking about something much, much more. It's not just about learning and, and trying to remember the information. Uh, he is uh, stating that no matter how hard you try, you'll never learn everything. Especially when we're talking about with what God has planned for us. We'll never learn the work of God, like what he's planning right now, what he has planned for us in the future. We will never understand that. We're not meant to. We will never be able to you know, understand the certain course, the best course for ourselves. Uh, you know, we, that's why they say hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we can sit there and be like, man, I wish God would make this path clear. And five years later, you turn around and look, and you're going, okay, that was pretty clear. All right, but it doesn't seem like it at the time, and so no matter how much we learn, how much we study, we will never be able to see the best clear path that God has laid out for us until we have already gone through it. And then that's when everything's getting even more frustrating with this, because have you ever heard this statement, the more we know, the more we know we don't know? And so you just, you just know more and know more and know more, and you realize there's just that many more things that you don't, you don't understand. It always made me laugh whenever I'd get students who would talk about it. It's like, you know, how do you know all this history? And I'm like, I don't know that much history. I really don't. And, and you, you have to realize how much is out there. I mean, it's literally every person that's ever walked on this planet's every second of their life. That is a massive amount of knowledge and no one will ever know. And that's just history, right? And now you take God and God is infinitely bigger than that. And it's and not, not being able to know all of it can make things frustrating, and it can make things upsetting and add to that anxiety that we have. And so, no matter how much we learn, how much wisdom we gain, we cannot, we can't know tomorrow. Um, we in uh, chapter six and verse eight, Solomon writes, "For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? 
Well, the question is, is what context is he talking about here? Uh, and obviously there are advantages to having wisdom over those who do not. And But we need to look at what Solomon is actually talking about. You know, it's important to remember that, that even wisdom, you know, like money, doesn't solve all of our problems. You know, just gaining more wisdom is not going to solve everything. Uh, if you, uh, one of the things that always makes me laugh, again, talking to, especially you know, kids as they, uh, my favorite one was always, why don't, the, why doesn't the government just, you know, I think 300 million people in this country, why didn't the government just go in and print off $300 million, give everybody a million bucks, we can all be rich. <laughs> I was like, well, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, why not? And I was like, because then when you went to McDonald's, your extra value meal would cost $10,000. And they, of course, they, then we go into a story about, you know, the lesson on inflation and things like that. But the point is, is that their view was, if I just had money, it would solve all my problems. And I would always tell them, it doesn't solve all your problems. It may solve those problems, but you just inherited a whole new set of problems. It's saying wisdom is the same way. Just, you know, knowledge on something may solve this problem, but now you know more, and now you know there's more out there, and now you've just inherited a whole new set of problems, a whole new set of issues. And, and so it's, it's the wise man, like the fool, this is what Solomon is really saying, must experience the same problems as everybody else does. The wise man is going to experience the same issues. Uh, a lot of people will call it, we're still held to the, the whims of nature. That no matter how much how wise we get, no matter how much knowledge we have, we are still held to the whims of nature, uh, to, to what it is that happens to everyone. Uh, in fact, the major reason why Solomon writes this, he says that wisdom is vain, is because the wise man someday must die, just like the fool. Right? And that everyone must experience the same thing. Uh, he writes in chapter 2 and verse 14, it said, And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Whatever we do, whatever pleasure, wisdom, toil, wealth, everything, we cannot escape the reality of death, and the reason for that is because knowledge and wisdom cannot, can do nothing about the cause of death, which is sin. All right, and so there's the, that academic idea is never going to is never going to solve that, and um, and you know Solomon even uh, kind of talks about his frustration in chapter two and verse seventeen when he says, "So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind." And so it's, it was a frustration. He gained this amazing gift, and it still frustrated him to know that he could not stop what affected everyone. Um, there's a couple of points real quick, and I, I'm going to I'm very quickly uh, throw out a little bit of a, a little, I got a quiz for you. You know, we got knowledge, wisdom, we got to have a test. Uh, it's very important. So see if you can tell me who this is. See if anybody actually knows. Only reason I knew this is because this is a, this is a history trick <laughs> question. So... Uh, this person was born either in Boston or New York City, not entirely sure, in 1898, to Ukrainian parents who held the professions of psychologist and doctor, respectively. Uh, he could read the New York Times at age two, uh, was, and understand, the New York Times in, in the, at age two, that would be 1900, that was a very different newspaper than the way it looks, anyways, uh, for that, and in a lot of other respects. Um, was accepted to Harvard at age nine, but they didn't want a nine-year-old walking around, so they didn't let him in until age 11. Um, that is not true. 
I got five minutes. The, uh, but he, uh, he graduated from Harvard at uh, age 16. Uh, at age six, he could speak seven languages. Uh, eventually, he could speak 25 languages. Um, it had a reported IQ, and if you know IQs, this is ridiculous. Um, okay. Um, the, uh, he had a reported IQ of 250 to 300. Now, if you don't know IQs very much, 100 is considered kind of average, 100, 110. <laughs> 250 to 300. Uh, I will tell you this, it's not Einstein. He had, he had an IQ of 160. Okay? 250 to 300. Okay? So he died at the age of 46, a penniless recluse office clerk, age of 46. Tesla? Was not. Tesla? Hmm. No. Okay. Honestly, if you don't, this is one of those, if you don't know the person, like you just didn't happen to know this, you, 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 I doubt you'd ever guess it. This is one of those, just, it's, a, it's kind of one of those history trick questions. Um, and I've got a few of those that I always use. His name is William James Sittis. Hardly anybody knows who he is. Considered to be the smartest man that America has ever produced, possibly one of the smartest people the world has ever produced. No one has any idea who he is because he never really did anything. He really didn't. Uh, he he uh, just had very very little in his uh, in his life that he did, um, and died very very young. Again, the point to that is, like we talked about last week, like wisdom, like in toil, it it's uh, it's not going to change anything. And you won't be remembered forever because of it. Okay, so very, very similar idea. So the question is then, uh, the, or there's no, uh, what is the answer then? What do we go looking for? If there's no meaning of knowledge and wisdom under the sun, if there's, it's vanity, then we have to look outside of ourselves. Because again, wisdom and knowledge is about ourselves. It's about what we look to gain is human wisdom. And so we have to go looking outside of ourselves. So if you'd like to follow along, I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18. It's a little bit longer reading. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. To save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand a seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice in verse 21 the world did not know God through wisdom. And it did not know. God revealed himself in a way that completely circumvents our wisdom through the cross. He completely took away the idea of us needing to learn it. And rather than try to educate us, rather than try to appeal to our human wisdom, God sent his son to die on the cross. He didn't try to come through our, our, our wisdom and our logic. You know, this message may not appeal to our, our sense of logic. We may not think, and this is what we hear a lot of people who argue against the church and against Christ is that it doesn't appeal to the logic, and I don't understand. But this is the very power of God. You know, we, we have to be careful not to put our, our human test, and this is where our, our key verse, our key idea was at the very beginning. It's not about the knowledge and wisdom. Searching for knowledge and wisdom is, is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. You know, it's good to know, it's good to be curious, but it's how we apply it. 
That's the problem. That's the issue. And so whenever we try to put our human wisdom to the test up against divine truth, right, we, we, we're going to struggle. It's going to be a very, very dangerous thing. Paul states in verse 22 and 23 that people will reject the cross because their wisdom keeps getting in the way. And the uh, last thing, last little wrap-up. Oh, that one? Okay. Last little wrap-up, and then we will, we will be done. You know, does God call for us to reject knowledge and wisdom? No. No, he does not. But he wants us to put it in the rightful place, to acknowledge that his wisdom is higher and better. Uh, remember that he chose the very well-educated Saul of Tarsus. All right, so obviously wisdom and knowledge is an important thing for him, understanding and being able to put that in its right place. But while vanity and wisdom should not keep us from seeking, vanity should not keep us from seeking wisdom and knowledge, it should keep us from depending on earthly wisdom and knowledge to give everlasting meaning to life. There's a quote that I found which I like. If wisdom is our answer to the question, what gives life under the sun meaning, then we fail that test. All right, we have to remember that. You know, Solomon explored a lot of options, and he made it clear that this is not a, uh, a good option. So, uh, but the pr thing is, Solomon didn't have Christ. He was, looking, he was writing through inspired advice. We do, and so we now know that we have something we can focus on. We have an opportunity to grow. We have an opportunity to gain wisdom through God, of God, through Christ. So, I thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your, your time. And uh, yes, 